It's Wednesday and that can only mean one thing here at 47 ABC News and that is another podcast episode of Weatherwise. Again, it's Wednesday, December 16th, where a s- snowstorm is occurring in parts of the country. Very close to our area, but looking like a rain event here, but we're not talking about weather in terms of snow or rain or December climatology or Christmas type weather. We're actually going to talk about weather in space this episode of our podcast. Yeah, we're talking space weather. It's a real thing. I'm meteorologist Daniel Johnson alongside meteorologist Ulysses Garcia. All right, Ulysses, let's do this because we're bringing this topic up not only because we've never talked about it before on our podcast, but because it actually had a bit of an impact on our area uh, just last week uh, where we actually had the chance at seeing the northern lights here on Delmarva. So a pretty um, amazing phenomenon that occurs in uh, many parts of the the globe, I would say, across Earth. So this podcast, we're going to talk about what is the aurora or what are the northern lights? What causes it? And is it, does it have to do with space weather? So let's jump right into it because I remember posting on social media last week. It was right around Wednesday, December 9th and into Thursday, December 10th, where we, the Space Weather Prediction Center, yes, that's an actual branch of the National Weather Service, uh, and it was forecasting the northern lights to possibly reach as far south as the Carolinas and which included Delmarva, uh, having the chance at seeing it. It ended up being a bust in this area. And when we say bust, that means a bad forecast. It didn't go the way we were hoping it would go. However, I don't want to call it a total bust because even though we had a chance, the chance was still pretty low here on Delmarva. And the northern lights were witnessed uh, across the poles, uh, the north and the south and in far northern latitudes, just not here on Delmarva. So it wasn't a complete bust. Uh, We just didn't see it here. Oh, yeah. So disappointing, but that's okay because we're going into, we're getting out of a solar minimum, and we'll talk about that. There's so much to talk about on this podcast. So if you don't mind, Ulysses, I guess if you you just want to start out by talking about the main topic of space weather that we're going to be talking about, which is sunspot activity, solar flares, and what are they? Because they impact whether or not we see the northern lights. All right. So, yes, let's talk about a little bit about when it comes to sunspots. And sunspots in general are just these spots that are, they're just storms on the sun. And when it comes to this, and you actually tend to have these, uh, when it comes to these sunspots, they are, they tend to form every couple of years. You tend to see, like Daniel mentioned, there's minimums, there's maximums. They tend to happen about an average every 11 years is the average solar cycle when it comes to these sunspots. And then also we have things called solar flares, which are just like bursts of ener- electromagnetic energy that you know go radiate, radiate, radiate out through space. Yeah, they're kind of like explosions. Yeah, they're pretty much just explosions coming out of the sun and then, you know, they radiate across the solar system. And that's pretty much in a nutshell what are just sunspots and solar flares. But let me talk a little bit more in deeply about that. So sunspots, like I mentioned before, are just like storms on the sun. They actually appear very dark. 
though they are actually dark, they're actually cooler than other parts of the sun's surface. Um, it's still very hot though, so don't think, oh, because it's a little <laughs> cooler in these sunspots, ooh, it must be like a tundra, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually 6,500 degrees Fahrenheit, so Hello. still uh, really, really hot out there. Now, the reason that these areas are actually cooler than the rest of the sun is because they form in areas where the magnetic fields are actually particularly strong, and these magnetic fields are so strong that they keep some of the heat within the sun from reaching the surface. Yeah, and just like the Earth, the Sun has a magnetic field. It's yes. pretty interesting, and they have poles, just like the Earth does. Yeah, they have poles, they have an equator, and then when it comes to solar flares, um, overall they're just magnetic field lines near the sunspots that often tangle, cross, or recognize. And they just release a lot of radiation into space, so electromagnetic energy, if a solar flare is very intense, that radiation it released can interfere with our radio communications here on Earth. And obviously that's going to be a little bit more what we'll talk about as we go on when it comes to the auroras and how it affects, yeah. uh, you know, what exactly it affects here on Earth. But that's pretty much just the basics when it comes to mm -hmm. solar flares and sunspots. So sunspots are just spots on the sun that are dark, that are cooler than the rest of the sun. And then you have solar flares, which are just bursts of energy that come from those sunspots. Right, and, and those bursts of energy um, of the magnetic field and plasma, actually, from the sun, too. Those explosions can actually reach the Earth, and that's what can create the northern lights. So that's how it happens. And you may hear us throughout this podcast, or you may hear other uh, meteorologists or those who forecast, um, they may use two words interchangeably. So a uh, solar flare or the scientific name for that, coronal mass ejection or a CME. Uh -huh. So that's the scientific term that a lot of uh, meteorologists use. So if we have a solar flare or a CME and if it is aimed towards, or, towards Earth, that's when we could have uh, an actual, you know, Northern Lights experience. Uh, and we haven't had a lot of them recently because Ulysses mentioned there are solar cycles and it typically is right around 8 to 11 years or so where we have 8 to 11 years of a solar minimum of pretty much hardly any sunspot activity hardly any solar flare activity and then we get into solar maximums where we see a lot of it um, where we can actually you know actually witness the northern lights um, again especially in higher northern latitudes um, so we haven't had a lot of coronal mass ejections lately, but we did have one last week, as I mentioned. Um, and the, uh, the Space Weather Prediction Center forecasted that to happen. They, uh, it's really awesome what they do. I've actually been there to the Space Weather Prediction Center in Boulder, Colorado. And it's really interesting because those meteorologists have to forecast how fast all that energy is traveling. The solar wind uh, can help influence that. Um, the the you know the strength of that wind, the velocity, the speed. Those meteorologists have to calculate that. So if it's moving at this, God, this is going to bring me back to physics. You know, if it's moving moving at this um, speed, uh, but it can be this force was given towards it as it was pushed ahead towards Earth. You know, how long will it take to reach? Earth, which is a distant of a light year away. I'm just making that up. Um, then they have to do the calculations. 
and that's how they can issue watches, which, was, which were actually issued here on Earth. We were under a geomagnetic storm watch. And that just means, watch out, there's a chance for uh, this solar flare to reach Earth and to cause, you know, the northern lights. And that's an awesome thing to witness, which I had not witnessed before. Have you? No, I actually did not get to because uh, you lived when, when, when I lived in Alpena in Michigan. Uh, unfortunately, the the weather or solar minimum solar, was happening. Yeah, solar minimum was happening. And I just to alliterate a little bit back to what you were saying about the geomagnetic storm watch. Uh, when I guess they go by levels, and it, yeah. it had a level three out of five. So right. So they actually were forecasting at the time a strong storm that could occur on Earth. Obviously, parts of the you know the further towards the pole saw something. Um, areas more towards the mid latitudes than not, but still pretty interesting. And when it comes to that solar wind, uh, typically they get up to speeds of a one to two million miles per hour. So wow. I just wanted to, you know, just mention that out there. Yeah, and and as that is, you know, hurling towards Earth, uh, and I know it kind of sounds scary that <laughs> the sun is spitting energy at us. Of course, we get energy from the sun every day. You know, the sunlight uh, heading our way, but these extra um, explosions of magnetic field hit Earth and causes those beautiful colors of the northern lights that hopefully in your lifetime you'll get a chance to witness. I hope I can witness that sometime as well. Uh, so what happens is these lights appear when the Earth's magnetic field um, pulls charged particles from that solar flare. And those charged particles hit our atmosphere and, all, and mix with the atoms and the molecules, and that is when those pretty colors show up. And usually it's witnessed at the poles uh, because when it hits our magnetic field, the field explodes towards the poles, and that's where a lot of the energy goes toward, both our north and south poles. And when you witness those northern lights in the north pole, it's the aurora borealis, but it's called something else when you witness it in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, it's called the... The Aurora Australis. Yeah, right. So does that mean it's in Australia? <laughs> well, I guess it's referencing no. Australia. And then yeah. if you're wondering what Borealis, I think I may have mentioned this in my relativities, but Borealis is just because of the fact that, that we have the northern coniferous, uh, coniferous forests yeah. in the northern hemisphere. We have a lot of that. So that's, and you know, when you think of that, it's called Boral. So that's how you get Borealis. Got it. So, yes, that's yes. a... A lot of scientific names for things. Yeah, a lot of scientific names. A lot of it's geography-based or, you know, topography-based. But definitely when it comes to the auroras, it's definitely an, an amazing sight. And I know going back to that solar activity, um, we are coming out of a minimum, but we are slowly but surely going to get it to a maximum. And based on information that, you know, the Space, you know, space Weather Prediction Center and other scientists have looked at it, is that we're right now in actually solar cycle 25 and it's actually expected to peak as we make our way towards July of 2025. So that's when they're forecasting that we should see the maximum uh, solar, you know, when we'll see the most sunspots, the most activity, that will also increase the chances for seeing more auroras. And that also will allow for more of these auroras to try to spill more into the mid-latitudes as well. So. Um, as the intensity goes up, when it comes to these solar flare, solar sunspots and solar flares, they'll have a better chance that it will actually dig its way more into parts of the Earth. Right, and as we get closer to that solar maximum, we're going to have more and more opportunity to possibly see 
the northern lights. I'm not saying we're going to see it here on Delmarva. Just as we get closer to that solar maximum, we're getting out of the solar minimum. So we're going to see more activity on the sun. So that's exciting, you know, for those who want to witness that. I do want to make a mini correction. I, I said solar flares and coronal mass ejections are exactly the same. They're not. Some people do use them interchangeably, but coronal mass ejections are when those solar flares become so powerful and so massive that they literally push large amounts of energy off of the sun and then it hurls into space. So that is a coronal mass ejection, when massive amounts of energy are thrown from the sun uh, and head toward you know, Earth or any other planets out there because these coronal mass ejections, they happen, but not all of them hit Earth, right? It's only if it's aiming toward Earth. Yeah, it's the side, the side of the sun that's facing towards the Earth. So yeah, so only just a part of it. So that means if it's not facing the Earth, we more than likely will not see it here on our planet. And that's also what the Space Weather Production Center has to determine. Was that flare aiming at us or not? Was all of it aiming at us or just part of it? So they have to do a lot of calculations and determine that to see what effect it could have on Earth. Because, Ulysses, we're mentioning the cool part about the northern lights, or coronal mass ejections and solar flares, uh, which is the northern lights, a really pretty phenomenon that you can witness. Charged particles in the atmosphere interacting with that sun's uh, energy that you know came um, from space. But it can interfere in satellites, you know? It can affect weather at times on Earth, but most, mostly it affects astronauts in space, and it can affect satellites. And I know it's been a long time because we've been in a, a solar minimum, but I remember it's been a while, probably more than a decade, where I remember a solar or a, some solar activity happening and it did interfere with satellite radio and it interfered with uh, GPS systems. And I remember that being something that, you know, the a Space Weather Prediction Center would let people know that this one is extra strong and it might impact some of our, you know, some of our uh, satellites here. And, and also it could also even affect, it could even produce blackouts at right. times. So, uh, you know, definitely like anything else, it has its pros and it has its cons. <laughs> yes, the pros are, it's a cool site, has a lot of cool colors, like you'll, you'll get, for example, blues, um, even red, yellow, green, and that's all really just depending on how the electrons collide when it comes to pressure or other gases such as oxygen and or even nitrogen. So that, those colors that are, you see, those colors depend on the type of gases and how it's interacting, but also the right. pressure at how it's getting interacted with as well. But definitely, like Daniel mentioned, though, uh, you know, the impacts, obviously, GPSs, your cell phones, Internet, uh, satellites, obviously. And, you know, satellites, for us meteorologists, we need them, obviously, to you know, track the weather. So I guess that's how it impacts us. But and also astronauts, especially because, you know, out there in space, uh, you don't have that protection of the Earth. Uh, you know, so you're out in space, there's really no protection. So that's something that, you know, when people out in astronauts are out in space, they have to be mindful of that as well. Yeah, and I'm, I was reading an article that mentioned Bob Berman, who's an astronomer. And he said that NOAA scientists have concluded that there are four main factors that actually determine Earth's global temperatures. And that is carbon dioxide levels, which we've been tracking for a while, which have been going up. Volcanic eruptions. You know, we haven't talked about that on our podcast. That could be a future a podcast here. But volcanic eruptions have, in the past, changed weather patterns. 
and can really influence weather. And then, of course, the El Nino pattern. We've talked about the El Nino and La Nina. And the fourth one, the sun's activity. You know, if you're in a solar maximum or a minimum, that can um, have influence on temperatures across the globe. Now, there aren't as many studies out there on the sun's activity impacting global temperatures. There are studies, but there aren't as many. Uh, so still some early research or more research being done in regard to that. But I, I thought that was interesting that it mentioned the sun's activity as one factor that can impact the weather. No, yes, absolutely. And definitely, uh, and obviously when it comes to volcanoes, it's just the fact that the ash, uh, you know, traps away the any sunlight coming into the earth, so it actually cools it down. So, right. And obviously the best, one of the best examples of that was the year without summer, where parts of the northern hemisphere saw snow in the middle of summer. So, Right. But. And yeah, and earlier this week, I'm actually on the Space Weather um, website right now, and I'll give, give, I'll give you guys two websites you can go to if you ever want to track these CMEs or, or the sunspot activity. But earlier this week on Monday, uh, the storm, uh, I keep saying storm prediction center because I'm, <laughs> I'm so used to that. The Space Weather Prediction Center, the weather in space, not on Earth. Um, they said another solar flare occurred um, during the morning hours on Monday. So they're still tracking that, and, and they'll probably be issuing watches if they need to, if it was strong enough, um, and if that does impact Earth. But one website you can see is spaceweather.com. That's one website that you can go to, and it just has so many links that can help teach you all about space weather. I remember learning about it in college. I took, one of the, I took that course um, in college and learned a lot about space weather. And then another website, which, is directly, which directly takes you to the Space Weather Prediction Center, is swpc.noaa.gov. So swpc.noaa.gov or spaceweather.com. So those two are pretty big websites that you can go to and learn a lot about the Northern Lights, which again, I really want to see someday. I'm going to have to travel, probably, or maybe wait for the next several years to see if there's one strong enough that can um, bring us some activity on Delmarva. But it's tough because you need to get to a dark area. You know, yes, there's dark areas here on the shore that we can get to, but you just need to get away from light pollution. Just like if you're going to see a meteor shower, it's it's kind of like that. And then so. obviously the, the other factor is just the weather. It needs to be uh, yeah. cooperating like anything <laughs> Thanks, else. Weather. So, yes, in order to see these, these events, we actually need to ref our own atmosphere has to cooperate. We can't just rely on the, on the sun to do the job for us. So in our neck of the woods, will it be clear? Exactly. So Earth's weather, highly dependent on whether or not we can see space weather <laughs> from Earth here. Because, obviously, I just can't, I still can't get over the fact, even as a meteorologist to this day, I've always been fascinated that we are a planet in the middle of a galaxy, that we're just out there floating. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, and that there are other planets out there in our galaxy, and that solar flares and magnetic fields being spit at us from the sun, and there's like... Anything can happen out there. there. There are meteors, and we have meteorologists, we have astronomers, different scientists out there tracking it for you all the time. So that's good to know that we have people out there that are watching it. But, yeah, that's our little education 
Anything else you wanted to add on the aurora borealis or the solar cycle or the flares? Well, I think we went over on, on what causes it, why it affects the poles more. Well, I think, uh, I know like, uh, I also want to mention in case you're wondering what's the next thing when it comes to space weather or astronomy base, there's going to be the, the Christmas star. Yes. That happens uh, as we go into, you know, the end of the weekend into early next week, now with the first day of winter coming up. So that's something that you can see. And that's actually going to be involving where Jupiter and Saturn are going to be drawing closer and closer together. Yeah. So you can actually see that um, on the globe in the western twilight sky. So that's just something I guess I just wanted to add. Yeah, just people can check that out between which dates does it, towards well, Christmas? Well, it has a, uh, on December 21st. Okay. So December mm. 21st is, um, as of right now, is what we, it's what the information is showing. But definitely for the, you know, it's called the Christmas star. And it's the fact that it's happening on the first day of winter, so it definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And it's going to look like they're touching each other, right? They're like, yeah, they're so close to like each other. Yep. Incredible. So, like, you know, Daniel just mentioned, we're in the middle of a galaxy. We have all these other planets. And mm -hmm. it's interesting how, you know, we could see some of these, uh, you know, obviously away from light pollution, obviously the weather cooperating, hopefully. But we can see these things. Mm -hmm. And it's really just amazing how we're just a, a little speck in a big, big world. That's right. They're big, big <laughs> galaxy, and space is just incredible in itself. There's just so much that influences, you know, the weather we have here on Earth, influences life. It's pretty, pretty awesome if you just take the time to think about it, that there's something so much bigger than us, and take some time to maybe look up. <laughs> no, yeah, and, it's, and I think what's also interesting is this month, it's just been eventful with a lot of these astronomical events we've also had the you know the Gemini meteor shower which unfortunately we didn't get to see here on Delmarva because of the fact that it clouded up on Sunday night into Monday and yeah. then but in the southern atmosphere if you were lucky like in Chile you could have saw a total solar, solar eclipse. eclipse solar so, eclipse of the sun so yeah so obviously a lot going on when it comes to space here and you know, we could capture here on earth so yeah. Uh, like Daniel said, just all you can do is just look up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and enjoy it. And you can always tune in to WeatherWise for more weather wisdom. That's right, because we bring it to you guys every Wednesday. Tune in next time. We'll see you later.